Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 258. Your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. We're back on the entrepreneur bandwagon here. That's what I do. These are the people I love. This is the energy I need. And the beautiful thing about shows like this is I never know where they're going to come from. Case in point, one of the shows I produce is called Profits and Purpose for the Colorado Business Roundtable. Someone I've worked with for a very long time. Her name is Debbie Brown. She fairly recently became the new president of the Colorado Business Roundtable and said, hey, I want to evolve what we've been doing on the radio. I'm going to switch to a podcast. Can you help me with that? I am producing her shows, and it's huge, huge fun. I love that show. Go to cobrt.com. Look through the tabs at the top. You'll find the podcast there. There's one up there every single week. Now, Debbie is kind of an extreme extrovert by her own admission, and so she's always meeting with people, which makes her perfect in this role, advocating for business across the state. And in her work, she crossed paths with today's guest. Her name is Betsy Wiersma, and Betsy is a professional podcast producer. She's a former keynote speaker, so did public speaking all around the world for a living. She gets into it on this week's show. She talks about what she was doing, how she got there, kind of the ups and downs of business travel and going around the world, why she stopped, which is a fascinating story, and what she's up to now with something called Camp Experience. But it's because I'm open to the idea of always meeting new people. I am rare to turn down a meeting. So if you get in touch with me, or if you say, hey, you know what? I came across this person. I think you should meet them. My answer is almost always and universally, yes. Hook us up. Let's meet. Because you know what that is? That's the universe telling me, hey, you might go in a different direction. Or this person might play an important role in your life. And if nothing comes from it, then hey, nothing lost. No one's hurt. You just get to meet another cool person. And who doesn't love connecting with interesting people? And Betsy, good God, what great energy. What an amazing entrepreneurial spirit. She's been making businesses since she was like six years old. It's crazy. We cover a lot of ground in this show. And in a lot of ways, this kind of refilled my well. Because when you work in a creative industry, such as podcasting, public relations requires you to write a lot, professional communications, you're drawing from within you and you're giving of yourself to your clients and to the work that you do. If you're not pouring yourself into it, you're probably doing the wrong thing. But that well gets drawn down. And a lot of times it's really, really helpful And really, really useful to connect with other entrepreneurs and go, hey, what are you up to? What do you do? And her energy is infectious. It's contagious. I'm not surprised that she's been able to raise the amount of money for nonprofits that she has almost entirely on her own. Or the fact that she helped women in Ethiopia create their own business. Or that she was an in-demand public speaker all over the world for businesses, for U.S. government agencies, for all manner of audiences. None of that surprises me. And it won't surprise you after you listen to this week's show, because Betsy Wiersma, amazing person, thrilled that I get to be in her orbit now, and I'm so happy that we got to connect. So you'll probably want to stay up on her. There are a couple of websites that you can go to. One is campexperience.com, and she'll talk about exactly what that is in this episode. 
and BetsyWiersma.com. That's B-E-T-S-Y-W-I-E-R-S-M-A.com. Did you write that down? Of course not. But you don't have to because everything is in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, listening on Stitcher, listening on iHeartRadio, or any of a billion other podcatchers, wherever you get your pods, you can find the links you need in the show notes. And while you're there, you know what? Hit that button. Give us a rating. And if you would be so kind, type us a review. Those things always help with visibility. And hit that subscribe button because brand new episodes will come to you each Wednesday. You can, of course, find all of this at the John of All Trades companion blog piece. That's J-O-N of all trades dot U-S. You'll see a nice little photo of Betsy and I together. We connected via Zoom. We're doing this virtually. While I can't wait to get together with people again in real life, you take what you can get. You connect virtually. You do the best you can. That's enough preamble from me. Let's get to this week's episode. Number 258 features Betsy Wiersma, a serial entrepreneur working on so many different types of things. She inspires me. She fills me with determination, and she's just an absolute joy to talk to, and I know you're going to love listening to her. Episode 258, Betsy Wiersma, starts right now. You know, um, I initially added two more video events and I've, I've contracted those after June. Basically I took those back out. I kind of had them for March, April, May. And as summer has hit, you know, people are getting out more. Um, but we have three online networking events per month and then social has been online and live now. Okay. So, um, we're doing a combo. So, but, um, and then in general, you know, I have a few client meetings in my podcast, but I don't have to be in something where I have to meet with my boss because I am my boss. <laughs> she just meets with me without the video on. It's amazing. <laughs> one thing, uh, one thing I like to tell people is I'll leave it up as an exercise to the reader or the listener to determine whether or not I'm wearing pants. And <laughs> are we voting today, John? <laughs> are, are we voting? Come uh, clean. You know what? Let's Pantsless. let's uh, let's put uh, a poll up, and uh, people can vote whether or not that's actually happening. But in this case, yes, I, I wear pants. I, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's important. Although with the summer, it is shorts, which I was going to uh, say, I was, I was going to go for your wearing shorts. Are they the stretchy kind or some cargo shorts? Cause my husband's in his cargo shorts today. I don't actually own any cargo shorts anymore. See, he's uh, 57 and that's what he got for father's day is camo cargo shorts from his lovely wife. That's a, that's a sharp look. And, yeah. um, I stopped wearing cargo shorts when I quit smoking. And you didn't have to haul around. Yeah. So I not only used to have to have like a pack of cigarettes and a lighter, but also like a pack of Altoids with me. And, uh, you know, like there's just a lot of gear and a lot of hassle that comes from smoking, which is why no one should ever start. Good. Well, I never did that. That's brilliant. Um, but um, I get it. You'll save yourself a lot of money and a lot of annoying health problems and a lot of, uh, I don't know, social pariah ship. I guess. So, uh, but you wouldn't know, which is good on you. So, um, so this is Betsy Wiersma and we were re we were introduced by Debbie Brown a couple of weeks ago. And it's always nice to meet a fellow podcast traveler, um, because I don't know about you. I haven't found too many people like us who are kind of fully independent like this. Have you? Well, you know, I'm kind of new to podcasting. As I told you when I met you, um, I was a public speaker forever traveling the world, you know, 24 countries, I think was the last clip off that checklist. And so I, I was a traditional public speaker, you know, keynote, uh, if it's yeah. Tuesday, it's Poughkeepsie and I don't get the room by the elevator. 
right? <laughs> not smoking, not by the elevator. And I did that for a lot of years until I got a phone call. You're having a baby. You want to know what you're having. And we adopted a one-day-old baby girl when I was 41 years old. So um, the glamorous life of Poughkeepsie and travel and some wild spots like Guam and, you know, New Zealand and some places I spoke changed into um, your mom in Inglewood, Colorado, very quickly. And so my speaking career really changed a lot while my daughter was younger. And so then now she's turning 18. Amen. Hallelujah. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. That's a credit to you as much as it is to anyone else. I think it's a miracle. (laughs) Um, We're still a couple weeks away, so we're still holding our breath. But um, what I found was, you know, the travel of the speaking life and uh, the interest when I was trying to be a work-at-home mom, what I call it, which is, you know, really be dedicated to creating the life for my daughter that I thought she deserved and attention from her parents that she needed in combination with a vibrant career. So speaking kind of lost its joy to be on the road. So then I did some local speaking in Colorado, but really finding internet radio. And then that led me into podcasting. Sure. So I'm kind of in like you, I'm kind of independent doing it from a marketing strategy way. Yeah. Which is kind of awesome too. Like I've, I've always liked people who are willing to sort of go at it by themselves. I have a question for you about business travel though, because I used to be on the road a bunch too. And people think it's pretty glamorous uh, you know, they're like, oh, you get to be on the road, you're eating out at restaurants and stuff. And I found after a time, it more just started grinding me down than I got enjoyment out of it. Where were you when you were kind of taken off the road? Because you were taken off, not necessarily by choice. It was very abrupt. Did you miss it? Did you react? Or did you go, oh, I'm kind of ready to be done with this? Well, I had a combo because since we adopted, right, I didn't have this nine months of this baby, you know, that I was carrying to get ready, right? I had the phone call. Hi, we have someone who picked you. You know, the birth mom picked you. Do you want this baby? And we had 24 hours to get to Chicago. Good Lord. Yeah, it was was quick. But, of course, um, through my personality and intuition, I had already decorated this nursery. And most of my friends thought I was a lunatic, right? You don't have a baby. And I'm like, the baby's going to come. I just need to have all the stuff together. And so when we got the call, it was like, hey, the, here's, the, here's the baby. It matches the cute wallpaper. For, for six months, John, I couldn't get out of my national contracts in my international oh. speaking gigs. So it's not like I was preparing and I knew the baby was coming. It's like, here's the baby. So I um, literally had to travel in my um, domestic contract to plan events around the country and to plan the big national convention. And then I had some international speaking gigs. So when the baby was less than six months old, I was in, you know, like a three-week Guam and Hawaii and Japan speaking tour that had been pre-booked. So I didn't really have that luxury. So between, you know, uh, of course, I was adopted mom, so I wasn't breastfeeding. So that was the thing, you know, I didn't have to. That, that, well, and, and that's not even unique to adoptive moms. My, I don't think she'll mind me saying this because I've talked about our process a lot. Um, my wife's milk never came in. Mm-hmm. And so our babies are largely formula babies too. And yeah. like that, you know, they're, they're perfectly healthy. They're funny and they're, they're talkative and they're smart and they're so deeply annoying. You know, like it doesn't really make much difference, although it changes the, dyna- the dynamic of when and how you need to be there, like necessarily. There you go. So I didn't have, you know, I, I could get help from right. my husband and nannies, et cetera. So I was still on the road for about the first six months. And then I let that big national contract go 
after that year. And then I just stopped taking, you know, the, the worldwide speaking gigs. So like, I'd say the good old days were one time I was supposed to do a keynote in New Zealand and then it didn't work out, but that the last minute something happened and they needed me. So I got the emergency call. Can you come to New Zealand? First class air, New Zealand, two tickets round trip. And wow. I was newly married. So that was like the glamor gig, right? Sure. Other than backstory, Going out of Chicago, there was weather, so my flight was super late, so I didn't get to go to the hotel. I had to go to the bathroom after flying all the way to New Zealand, put my suit on, throw makeup on, and go onto the stage without wow. anything. But, like, like I brushed my teeth, I put a suit on that was literally in a bag in a bathroom in New Zealand and did a keto. So, you know, everybody thinks it's glamour. So I'd say that's, like, high-end glamour. You know, the low end is um, running through the Chicago airport, which you probably had many times. Missing a flight in the middle oh, of the God, night, yeah. stuck. I was burning out on loving doing it. Like, oh, I, people okay. would say, that's the best speech ever. And underneath, I'd be like, really? Uh, it's the same thing I said before. Just, you know, changed up for your audience. So I kind of, my fire was dimming a little bit. And then I think it was a natural progression to then kind of get off the road. Okay. What were you speaking about? So, I mean, you were keynote. Like, what would people hire you to do? What were you talking about? Um, I talked about success in the experience account, uh, economy, the power of wow, and really making a mark with a brilliant marketing and innovative creative um, promotions and building relationships and the power of um, really creativity and special events as a marketing tool. So that was based on Gilbert, Pine and Gilbert's book, The Experience Economy, was kind of the start of it, and then I created all my own kind of story around it. And, okay, so I think... That sounds attractive to a lot of people. And it, I, the reason I bring that up is because I taught public speaking for two years at Colorado State University. And I got into that because I loved the classes I was doing. I, I realized I hated my business classes. I was just bored out of my mind. I was doing really well on my speeches. And I changed my major to that. And I had a couple of students when I taught public speaking tell me, yeah, I wasn't really feeling any of my classes till I took yours. And then I made that my major. And so what's interesting to me is what is a career path like for getting into where you become a keynote speaker? Because it doesn't happen overnight. I, I'm assuming maybe it did. <laughs> we haven't talked about it yet. But what does that career path look like to where all of a sudden people are hiring you to where you can sort of create this content or take content that has been created, evolve it to your own voice, and then present it to hundreds of people, thousands of people? What was your biggest audience? say probably right under a thousand would be my biggest ever audience. But mostly I also did um, a thing for the military where I, where I had a global satellite fed TV show called wow works all over the world. Mm -hmm. So it had bases in every time zone and I was at Wright Pat air force base. So to go back to answer your question, I kind of came up through having a voice to instruct and inspire people to get together for special events. And then I wanted to market my special event company, so I started coming up with all the kind of the, the ways that your events were great. So I taught about organizing your committees and how to, you know, use creativity as a business tool because then that highlighted how creative I was in the special event industry, thus ah. getting me clients. So I came up through the, I would rather give to get, and people would say, you're giving away all your ideas. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I am. But you, somebody, unless you're just me or brilliant, you're going to need help doing them. And if you do, maybe you're going to think I'm a good fit for you. And if not, bless you, 
their ideas, you know, go for them. They're not stolen from anyone else. I made this stuff up so I can give it away. So I always <laughs> was the one that gave you so much, right? Mm-hmm. Like really didn't do the sales pitch at the end. Oh, can't tell you until you hire me. I never did that. I never had the go to the back of the room and quickly get on my list. Crap. You know, I was like, let me just give you ideas. And then if you're inspired to know me more or I can help you find me, that was a catalyst to incredible business. Okay. And that makes sense to me. It's not like when you see, uh, you know, I'll teach you the secrets of how to do house flipping, right? Where different, yeah, different model, entirely different. And it reminds me of something that I've always felt that, that my wife took a class about, but there are two views of the world. One is the world is scarce and we're all out to slit each other's throats and like guard your sort of whatever it is you have with your life. And then there are people who are like, take it like, whatever, whatever I can, like, let's make ourselves better. And what's so funny to me is what you recognize inherently that a lot of people just sort of forget because they're squirreling away just the tiny little corner of the human experience that, that they think they can commodify and sell. It's that you could tell them everything they need to know to make a special event. Not a lot of people have that talent to execute it. Like, you know, someone could give me a step-by-step blueprint on how to fix the transmission of my car. And I could watch every YouTube video in the world. I'm never going to be able to fix the transmission of my car. Yeah, right? I get you. So to, to hire someone who actually knows what they're doing, who you trust, who you like, who says, look, here's everything that I'm doing. And here's everything that you can do. It's like, no, no, I just need you to run it. And I, I think that's a pretty brilliant business model. So, And it sounds like you had a lot of success with it. Well, so what happens is... When you get out in the industry or what happened in the day, right? I think times are really changed now, especially with COVID and online speaking and all that mess. But what happened in the day is when you were really good and you did the association gig, right? And all the parks and rec people in the entire world were in the room and you were that great speaker they loved and you had the confetti and the music and the door prizes and all the fun. Then the U.S. Air Force comes and says, can you do this for me in Spain? Yeah. And you get the great gig. Or can you make a TV show and teach everybody in the world? And, you know, you build these relationships that are awesome. Um, And then, too, you start to kind of figure out who needs that kind of education, inspiration, you know, and connection. And then you start to kind of get into niches, right? So I did the U.S. Fish and Wildlife National Convention, right? I did Parks and Rec stuff, Main Street, all over America, where I go into the little towns, have a creativity workshop for the businesses, right? That was when the small plane almost went down in the tornado. But uh, again, (laughs) I digress. (laughs) You know, like, I'm going to die over New Mexico (laughs) in a small plane. And even the burly men are crying and throwing up. And here I am. I think I must say goodbye now. You're like, big bopper, buddy Holly, I'm coming for you. I tell you, we went down someplace that wasn't even near anything. Like, it was like... crap. We are going down, and yeah, I thought, okay, well, that's a really bad part to this story because I'm on a small gig in the middle of New Mexico. Wow. Okay. Um, it's like, uh, have you seen the movie Almost Famous? I don't think I have seen Almost Famous. Okay. Yeah. Cameron Crowe, you know, journalism, this fictional band called Stillwater. Uh, they're they're about to go down, and they all start revealing secrets to one another. <laughs> and then the plane levels out, and they all survive. And now they have to live with that after the fact. It's there. You go. I slept with your wife. Whoops. I'm uh-huh. sorry. Yeah. There you go. That... I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to watch that, John. It's not bad, but yeah. Wow. Um, the most terrifying flight I was ever on was just coming back from Grand Junction to Denver. That's what, like a forty minute flight. And the flight attendant did not come back and pick up the service items. 
uh, because she said, okay, we're going to be hitting some wind. And I was, number one, very, very hungover uh, because we, I was out. I was the client. I was with one of my consultants the night before. And, oh, my God, we, we had quite the evening. And we get off the plane, and I realize it, there's almost like pools of sweat in my flip-flops that I was wearing. And those small planes, when they get going, wow, yeah, yeah. it's terrifying. Yeah, there was that. Um, and back to the kind of trade of this question. So there's lots of people that come to me all the time, right? Oh, I want to be a speaker. And so there's other ways to do it, right? So I came from um, all original content created my way with my sticks and how I do it and my handouts and my fun and all that. Other people get trained by, you know, big training companies on things, right? So somebody just got certified to be an official business turnaround coach and blah, 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 blah. blah. There's all that. And then they get a shtick and then they still make it their own and they, they learn good public speaking skills and then they go out. And then there's lots of associations like the National Speakers Association, which I used to be on the board and did all that, where you can go and meet peers and, you know, be mentored and all that stuff. So I just have always been rogue. I've yeah. always gone rogue, kind of do it my own way like you. So I, I kind of like that. That's that's very much my vibe. Uh, one of the reasons I liked public speaking, and this is counterintuitive to a lot of people, is somewhere I got the wires crossed where I'm actually more comfortable in front of an audience, like talking to people, then frequently I am making small talk. And meeting people or the idea of going to a network event doesn't really bother me anymore, but it used to fill me with just absolute dread and absolute terror. Uh, do you relate to that at all? Or, you know, because they say public speaking is the number one fear of people, statistically speaking. What kind of drew you to that? Is it similar to my story? Or do you have kind of a different angle you come at it from? You know, it's so funny because I've been having this conversation recently and I think the people that turn out to be public speakers are the people that maybe were not heard or seen in mm. another place. Right. And I think growing up, my parents were of that generation in the sixties and fifties and they had their friends and their country club and their parties and their golf. And we were just the kids. Right. So it'd be like, there's the kids, you know, and we'd walk through, do, 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 do. hi, look how cute we are. And then we'd go back. Right. The kids would make an appearance. And I think maybe I just didn't feel seen and heard as a kid. Interesting. And so my public speaking really started in junior high and high school. I spoke at high school graduation and I was on the speech team. I just always could put together a story and do it with a little bit of spunk. And I thought that was fun. The networking thing is funny because I run a 5,000 person networking organization, right? Yeah. And so like I bring everyone together to convene, but I'm always working. Right. I'm the kind of in charge of everything. So where everybody's bonding and doing their stuff, I'm kind of usually behind the scenes being sure that everything's right. So I'm not quite so out there social butterfly. You know, I'm a little bit more like uh, I'd like to be calm, do art, produce content, very happy on the stage. And I, I can talk to people, but I'm not the butterfly they all think I am. <laughs> They're like, you must be out all the time. I'm like, uh, no, actually, I'm not. <laughs> Are you more introvert or extrovert, do you think? I'm more extrovert. Okay. And to balance that, I have a very quiet, grounded, prayerful life to keep all that really whole. So when I go to the world, I'm really pure with mm. like my service. But I'm definitely not introverted, but I definitely don't go out all the time. That's funny. It's uh, Yeah, it's funny because I'm more introverted than I am extroverted. And that surprises people because I do public relations for a living and, you know, I host this podcast. I'm always talking to people. I'm always like meeting new people, 
But you know what's funny is it's always on my terms. And in a lot of ways, you're setting the playing field as well. And so you kind of get to dictate the way you do your interactions. There are people who can't get enough. Like I, I work for some extreme extroverts. And when lockdown happened, they freaked out. They, and, and I started to feel for them because I know I get exhausted if I'm around people for too much. And I go, I just, I need to be alone for a little while. That's just, I know, I know myself. I'm just going to get grumpier the longer I am with people. And I go, wow, now these people are forced to be alone. That's like forcing me to be with people. And it, it gave me a new look at extroverts. And so I think anytime we're building empathy, we're doing good work. So Yeah. And the, the online video thing's been <clears throat> super interesting. Uh, today we had 12 women. And, you know, all of a sudden the barriers of like, I live in the north side, I live in the west side traffic. Kids yeah, no one cares small. anymore. It's all gone. And it, it, the, and back to your point from before you turn on the recorder, you know, whatever you wear, you wear. Like people, <laughs> if they're in their pajamas, I'm not saying they're not wearing pants like you, but um, I'm just saying, like, if they're in their pajamas or they didn't put their makeup on or whatever, like, every, there's so much grace about video and people are so over trying to be perfect on video and have the right the light and everything, you know, like, so I think that's been interesting in this networking space and people were really intimate on a call because they're looking at their computer and they're saying the truth, you know, which is really good for people to have a safe place. Yeah. I think if we're losing a little bit of affectation, then that's a good thing too. That's, that's a nice result that when we're on the other side of this, whenever that is, hopefully we maintain some of that uh, going forward. Well, there's no surprises what I look like with no makeup is all I'm saying. <laughs> cause I've done a video every day since the first day of COVID. Cause I thought it was 14 days and I thought, Oh, this is a little stick. I'll just do a video for two weeks. And now what are we? I've got like 60 something videos and I'm like, today we'll talk about pens, 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 P E N S. Like I, I'm making stuff. I'm like Seinfeld. I'm the video about nothing. You're, you're, you're doing, um, a long form improvisational exercise. I am. I'm doing a writing, a writer's blog exercise every day on video. And then one night I forgot and it was nine o'clock and I'm like, I can't break my, you know, I can't break it. So I run outside in my pajamas and said, this is the nighttime version of the Betsy video. <laughs> and it had the most hits ever. So I'm like, I am changing it up. My dogs are on the video today. I had a guest today. I had a guest on my daily video today. Fantastic. So. Uh, yeah, no, you, uh, anytime you get authenticity like that. And I, I did a training recently for a client about, you know, like optimal zoom meetings. And I said, be unexpected. Like people are craving a change in energy, no matter what their energy is, give it to them. You should have called yourself the night wolf or something. I probably did. I can't remember now they're all blurry, but I went back into my um, Facebook archives, you know, Yeah. and I just noticed like video, 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 video. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's bad hair. My, my hair grew out, you know, it has to get colored again this week, but it was like white to here and the yeah, droopy. This is 59. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one thing yeah. I I don't care for uh, for doing the video conferences is I'm fully aware when I'm on a video chat of how much weight I've gained during this quarantine, um, where I go, you know what? Be kind to yourself. Just relax. It's not going to be forever. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. That is the number one thing. It's, and it's not always easy, but, um, it's crazy. If you go to your site, if you go to Betsy and you look through everything that you've done, it's an impressive amount of stuff. And you refer to yourself as a serial entrepreneur, and I'm always curious about that term. Is it 
Is it a byproduct of having a lot of ideas and wanting to see them through? Or is it a love of the process? Because there are people who are like, yeah, I don't really care what business I'm doing. I just like the act of starting something up, getting it going, getting it going. And then if I have to like maintain it or, you know, keep doing it, I'm going to get bored. I like the process of building it. Or is it what I said initially that you kind of have so many ideas you like to execute them? Um, I would say it's the latter, you know, like, um, I've just always been self-made. We never had money or anything growing up, right? So if you wanted something in fourth grade, you had a macrame bead business, and you sold bracelets at school, and you made 40 bucks, and you were rich. You were nice, yeah. Grade, 40 bucks. That was a lot. I had to split it with my partner, Mary Elliott. Um, <laughs> so I was always like, hey, you know, let's have a car wash. You know, like I was always kind of entrepreneurial, and I didn't know it. I just thought I was having fun, right, building the junior float. Let's get sponsors from Dairy Queen. I didn't know I was getting sponsors. I just thought, kids want Dairy Queen. We have a float. We need money. Let's go to Dairy Queen and get money, and then we'll give the kids a reason to go back to Dairy Queen. I didn't know I was doing a bounce-back promotion. I just thought Dairy Queen would give me money if I brought lots of kids in there to spend money. So you inherently recognized that you had a platform that had visibility and that that would have value to someone else. That's remarkable vision at that age. Yeah, I had a captive audience, right, kids who want ice cream. And I had a local Dairy Queen, and I needed money for the float. And so that just went along. You know, college, we started student purchasing and because I was in a sorority, and there was 40 sororities and fraternities. And we said, if we all buy toilet paper together, I bet we'll get a better price. And sure enough, our corporation took a percentage of the savings, and we started a co-op and started buying large quantity things in college in 1983. Um, in this co-op and we started making real money. And the funny part is after college, one of the guys that started it in our little gang took the idea and made it a real business and, you know, made millions of dollars because it's a smart idea. Businesses, small businesses buying together to have more power. Right. So it's kind of just was natural. And then, um, I've been a social entrepreneur really because I, I loved bead jewelry. And then I thought, well, what if we had beads and then we made them and we taught women in Africa to make them, then they would have these beautiful beads. We could sell them in the U.S. and give the money back to Ethiopia. And $100 for one bracelet sold in the U.S. made of beautiful beads was a year salary in Ethiopia. Jeez. So, um, gosh, years ago I did the Hope Bracelet Project and we built an entire three-story dormitory at uh, Project Mercy in Ethiopia. So, I've kind of been doing this my whole life, whether in the for-profit or non-for-profit world. But then at the natural end to the Hope Bracelet Project, I didn't need to do that forever, right? There was a board in place, a committee in place, people in place. The gig was going, and I could move on and say, okay, God, what's next? And that's what I heard, camp, experience, camp, experience, camp. And I got, oh, I'm supposed to build a women's summer camp to uplift, educate, and inspire and connect women, and then those women will do good and have fun together. Okay, and that's, so, you know, so Betsy, I got, a, I got a question before you do that. You said 15 years, right? Yeah. Was it really that linear? Did, like, did you have, like, a quote-unquote conversation with God about... Yeah. Really? I had a download. Um, I get downloads, but this one was camp, experience, camp, experience, camp. And I got that women needed to stop their regular life with the kids and the husbands and all that. And for one weekend, go away to summer camp, like when you were a kid Mm -hmm. and find your inner Skeeter, which is your little self you left on the playground, right? That it just didn't have to be anything that for two and a half days was just off the clock and could just experience something new and really be filled up 
with the love and support of other really cool women and with being inspired and having fun and doing yoga and drinking some wine and shopping and all the things we do. And I literally heard the words in my head, camp experience camp. And so I always built it as an interactive experiential marketing platform for women, highly desirable demographic, 35, 64, 75,000 and above. Right. So, you know, that little sweet spot, then lots of sponsors wanted to fish in my big pond and talk to those people directly. And so the sponsors pitch in so that the networking and all the events are free. The women then come to the free stuff. The women get to build their business. And then once a year we go away to summer camp. So um, that came after the Hope Bracelet Project, you know, after that. So they've kind of lined up. And that's why I say serial, but yeah. not serial killer, serial entrepreneur. Yeah, well, good. Um, <laughs> well, what's interesting to me is, I, you know, I'm curious. You, you mentioned the Hope Bracelet Project was wrapping up. And you had the words camp, experience, camp, experience going through your head. I mean, how often are you seeking these opportunities or how often do you feel like they come to you? Is it a mix like that? Like, are you zen about it or are you kind of actively out there like throwing your, your line in the water? And have you had any, if that's the case, have you had any that, that haven't panned out for you? Well, I'm just a one person show, right? So to raise a million dollars and to orchestrate 60 events a year and a fall camp, 65 sponsors raise about $200,000 cash and in kind. That doesn't let my brain wander very far <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> because that's pretty big for one person with three contractors, right? I mean, you know, cause you're a small business. Oh yeah. Um, but what has happened now, which is really cool is as camp has matured and as we have some seasoned contractors and people in committee, you know, and it's kind of doing its thing. Then I've said, well, wait a minute. I want to do global work. Now I'm, I'm expanding myself. So we have the global sisterhood network, which is, you know, our podcasting and our 24 seven videos. And then I said, well, wait a minute. I want to have global impact with charities. So we have affiliations in Africa and in Guatemala and in Nepal, you know, so, so some of that's growing out of the basic do good, have fun philosophy of our tribe. And then I'm meeting people through my camp organization that then expands us to go to Australia and do the socks we do here in Australia, you know? So it's building the next piece. That's super fun is the 15th anniversary is a great opportunity to celebrate with something special. So I'm doing a compilation book of 60 authors of women in our network from all over the world. And it's called the stew smart talk exceptional women, the stew, get a tasty bite of the stew. And so I've got these 60 women yeah. and I did a hundred original pieces of art for this book. So now I've got my art business and my, you know, kind of marketing slash showcasing women all colliding with a compilation book, which will of course be its own podcast and will build media off that. So, um, so it's kind of organically growing and it's also built on things I'm interested in after doing this 15 years to expand my experience. I think what's remarkable about that is the fact that you're able to recognize how you expand these things, how you grow them, how you push them in different directions without thoroughly reinventing yourself every single time. Because I found personally, and the reason I bring that up is personally, I have a problem with that. I almost feel like I need to like create something out of whole cloth every single time, whether it's my business, my podcast, my friend brought me an opportunity to start this thing called Mile High 100 that didn't do what I wanted it to do. The Denver Podcast Network. I was just, I'm like, I'm spread all over the map. And it's almost like 
I don't know how to grow my existing brand. So to hear you say it, and it sounds so effortless, I'm sure it isn't, but it sounds so effortless that it's remarkable and you put me on my heels a little bit with it. Well, John, let me tell you a secret of being more than 10 years ahead of you. When I was you, I used to push the boulder up the hill, right? <laughs> oh, I got this idea. Let's do it, right? <laughs> So it's not moving. Oh, this person finked out. This sponsor pulled out. This person didn't pay, you know, right? Now, being 59, I go, okay, I'm going to watch for signs that this thing's coming together. It's going to have some inertia. It's going to have some other talent. You know, like you met me. Well, you and I together working on the Denver Podcast Network, different gig, Mm, right? True, yeah. Because that might be super fun. I would love to talk to you more about that. Um, so like I say, dear God, send me the people, places, and things for the common good of everybody, right? Yeah. So if I meet somebody, I let them, I stop talking first. When I was your age, I used to go like, hey, let's do this idea. And there'll be the different podcast decorator like this. And then they go, sure. Then I go, weird. They didn't do any of the work. I did all the work. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I said all the stuff and I put it on, you know, I should it on them. You should do this with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, I, I love I love that term too. You use that all the time. Like uh, I should it on them. I should it. Yeah. You should do this with me. And then I wonder, like, why did they not do it? Right. Well, because you should it on them. <laughs> <laughs> they never said that they really wanted to do it. They just got wrapped up in your puking on them that they should do it. <laughs> yeah. You just kind of voluntold them. You just showed up. You voluntold just... them. Yeah. You, yeah. Voluntold them. That, I mean, that's a slightly different problem than the one I have, but I relate to the spirit of what you're saying intensely. Yeah. So now I kind of watch. So the cool thing that happened is I love to travel the world, and I wanted to climb the Sydney Harbor Bridge. So since I love podcasting, then I reached out to people I knew, to new people in Sydney, and then had these six amazing podcast interviews, which I did also on video. And by the way, climbed the Sydney Harbor Bridge, which was a life thing in itself, and raised $3,500 for charity climbing the bridge, because what the heck, I was already climbing the bridge, and and rode off the trip, and and had all that national and international media, you know? Yeah. So it, it kind of plays well together in the sandbox. Um, so my intention moving forward, as soon as the world quits having international pandemic, which is kind of really tough. That's kind of messing up everyone's. Travel, it's kind of messing up everyone's chi here in many, many ways. Messing up my travel chi. I had to cancel a trip not only to Norway and um, Paris, but also to Africa mm. to our charity where we were going to Uganda and Ethiopia, or Uganda and um, next door. <laughs> anyway. Kenya. Kenya. Kenya and Uganda. And, um, yeah, we had to cancel. We donated the cow for the races. And the person from America that raised all the money, me, was finally going to go see all these kids I've supported for 15 years. And not anymore. Yeah. Wow. It's inspirational because I, I think I've learned to be more zen about it as well. Where, again, yeah, I, I found if this is why I don't generally turn down meetings either. Um, if someone wants to meet with me or if someone offers to introduce me to someone, I go, yes. Like I, I did not initiate this. I did not chase this. Someone's trying to tell me something I ought to listen. And so I, I think your feedback about listening first rather than just going in and talking, it reminds me of a deleted scene in Pulp Fiction where uh, Uma Thurman asks John Travolta, she says, do you listen or do you wait to talk? And I think too many people are just waiting to talk and not actually listening. And that's one thing doing this podcast uh, has gotten me pretty good at. 
Yeah. It's interesting when you don't tell people what you want them to say. <laughs> so yeah. I used to hire people, right, because I had a bigger business and I had people. And I can look back and say, yeah, well, who's not going to say when you say, you're really good at accounting, right? <laughs> What's the interview <laughs> person going to say? Yeah, I'm great at accounting, right? So I think it's really cool when you just say, tell me more about that. Or, John, how would you do the podcast network? Mm -hmm. And then stop. And then see if you resonate with the other person and what they really feel, what they're passionate about bringing to the table. Because if you said, yeah, I don't want to do any work. I just kind of want a bunch of glory. And I think I can make a bunch of money and take advantage of a lot of people. <laughs> then that is a sign for me to go, okay, is that a fit or not fit for how I would do a podcast yeah. network? Then I have the free choice to go, that is awesome. You have a blast taking advantage of people. Ponzi scheme. Go for it. You know, <laughs> you know, X, X, N, A and X a day. Right. Um, but if you let people show up to who they really are, I think um, it gives you a sign and a clue. And then the other thing is like to really put in place actually communication and boundaries, you know, like, okay, we're going to try this. Let's meet and let's do a white paper and everybody contribute and then let's review it and then see where the action's going to be. So you start to see like people will say anything to me, but I always say, could you send me that in an email? Could you write that down? And it's funny that people that talk the big show never can, you know, send you the follow-up email. Nope. <laughs> so then I go, thank you again. Awesome for you. Yeah. <laughs> Take care. Uh, this was a pleasure. Uh, I yeah, nice I to meet you, Betsy. I'm so glad Debbie introduced us. Good luck on your podcast. Bye. Yeah, I think this is where we part ways. Yeah. I want to talk podcast hosting because it's interesting to me. I am now consulting on a number of podcasts. I know you are too. Like we, we both do that as part of what we do. And seeing people grow into the kind of host they're going to be has always been interesting to me. Uh, you know, what kind of show are you going to make? How are you relating to your guests? Things like that. I'm curious for you going from doing public speaking where the spotlight is on you, right? And, and you are there to hold the audience's attention in a lot of ways to now hosting a podcast and interviewing people where, you know, you are the facilitator. And I, I like to think that I am but a vehicle for whatever version of my guest comes out. I like to be the vehicle for it. Was that transition natural for you or was that something you struggled with at all? No, it, it's really natural because my whole gig in the world is to put others forward into their best light. And the Camp Experience Network gives people a chance to try stuff in a friendly place, right? So you can try to be a leader on a committee. You can try to raise money for charity. And you're surrounded by loving people that say you're fine. So you're not going <laughs> to yeah. screw up like in your job, right, and get fired because you did it wrong because you can't do it wrong. If you're helping people, you're doing it right, right? So it was really natural for me to be um, putting people forward and asking the kind of questions that let people shine. And then I'm a really good translator. So sometimes, you know, people just can't say it in a way people get it. So it's fun as a host to be able to go, oh, John, I love that idea. And I, I like the way you are going to bring people together to have a podcast network to celebrate, blah, blah, blah. you know, and then people go, yeah. And so I can make them look even better by paraphrasing or lifting up or, you know, summarizing. So that part was easy. I'm way behind you in helping others be their own host because I'm just, you know, branching off to help others do there. So I just have my first one starting soon. And because they're marketing focused, so mine are, you know, an extension of a marketing tool into the podcast realm, not, celebrity podcasting. Oh, no, me the Kardashians either. and Steinfeld. Yeah, um, Seinfeld. So mine are like, how do people's brands come alive? 
So the first one I'm working on is in the financial services industry, but they do it really differently. Like they have um, young professional groups and they have a divorce entire part of their practice. So women who are going through, or men who are going through divorce can have a really safe place to do finance with those pair of glasses, you know, um, looking to their future and their kids in the way that that works. So I want to give them a format to, to tell the story of that. So it's just not on the website as divorce services. Yes. And they're going to, um, I'm going to ask them some questions so they can tell the story. And then the second half of the podcast is them interviewing one of their clients. So um, that's going to be so cool and really rich because if you are afraid, you know, and you see a website that says divorce services, well, that's pretty cool. But then you can click on the podcast and hear the hearts of the people that work there saying, this is why I'm dedicated. And this is why I do free classes for people. And this is one of our customers and then that person interviews the customer i think it's going to be super juicy very you know evergreen always good and then we'll put it into my big vision the global sisterhood podcast network which is where i'm hosting on megaphone all of these women podcasts so we can then intermingle cross multiply you know sheer advertising 100 percent. the thing that i admire most about you and something that i struggle with is your vision because you actually have a vision for not only how to create the pieces, but how the pieces are going to fit together with one another. And that's not the easiest thing to do. I worked for someone who had great vision, but had no discipline for instituting this. So we'd get halfway into something, and then there'd, there'd be another vision coming. And so we'd all stop all this work that we were doing. This was one of my first jobs I ever had out of college. And like we'd bust our asses to get it going. Halfway through, we'd be on to something else, and none of them would ever become fully realized. And so not only having the vision, but having the discipline to see the vision through, I think, is a pretty unique set of skills. Would you agree? Well, thank you for the compliment. But I would tell you, since I've never had money, I've always been self-financed, and I've always been my own boss since I was 26, and I started my special event planning and marketing business. So you're saying it is possible. People ask me what my, what my goal is for my company. It's that I don't have to go work for someone else ever again, unless I choose to. Right. It's very possible, but I didn't have the luxury to like go down the road on a project and just not get it done and pay on my team (laughs) and then move on. You know, it's like my team is me and I, I get paid last anyway. So like I have to be smart about things. Right. So an example would be, I'd never done any fundraising online, right? I've given to a lot of campaigns. I never did any, but for this book, it started as a little baby $3,000 project. Only my art, only me, mm-hmm. right? It was like my amplification of my Ted talk. I was going to do a whole book about my Ted talk. And then I'm praying, thinking, and I hear, no, 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 no. This is going to be a compilation of all these women all over the world. And you will do the art and it's going to be this bigger thing. Well, it went from a $3,000 project to a $12,000 project in the middle of COVID with no budget. Right. So I'm like, okay, uh, lemonade sale. (laughs) No. Um, let's see babysitting. (laughs) Uh, Like, like where am I going to get the gig? So I decided to do an online fundly campaign, which is similar to GoFundMe. It's called fundly. It's a, it's another platform. And then I just said, well, well, hey, if you'll do a pre-order, I'll give you a digital piece of artwork. Oh, and if you give $300, I'll give you an original piece of artwork from the book and a signed book. And if you do $600, i will have you come to my house in Keystone and we'll do an art retreat. You'll be one of the guests of an art retreat. And I threw that out there like, no one's going to do that, but you got to have a high-end one, right? Sure. The first person was 600 The second person was 1000 And the third person was 600 And I was like... 
oh my goodness, that was awesome, <laughs> you know? So I think I've always just had to bootstrap it, right? I worked at totally. McDonald's the minute I turned 15 and a half, I worked at McDonald's. And then I had another job in the afternoons collating in a bindery. I've been that kid. So um, You worked in a I, bindery? I did. So I did I. hand collated with I, the stuff on the fingers. I hand collated before you were born. Okay. I worked in a bindery too. That was my very first job. And so we had a saddle stitch. We had a perfect press. Uh, perfect press. Yeah. And, uh, and we had a folder. I cut vellum on signs, on sandblasted signs. I cut the vellum by hand. Oh, geez. I, uh, yeah, no, I would feed pockets. I would catch. I would wrap skids. Um, oh, that's funny. We had to hand collate these three ring binders. Gross. I remember having the glycerin and you'd walk down in this warehouse one page at a time and then you'd have to put them in these binders. <sighs> it, it was so I, I was 16 years old and I worked 2 p.m. to midnight four days a week. And in here I had paper cuts like from picking up the big, you know, big reams of paper. You're feeding the pockets. You're making sure everything is uh, is getting fed correctly. And that job was brutal. That yeah. was just such tough work. Yeah, that's funny. So mm, I, yes. I, I cannot believe that. That's funny. So, yeah. So thank you for the nice compliment. And I have never had the luxury, right? So, you know, there's things that don't work. Like I had a art retreat and nobody came. But it was because nobody was supposed to come. Because that weekend I went home to see my mom. And she ended up going to hospice and passing away. Mm. That weekend. Like, Jeez. so I'm so, you know... I think, I don't know what you call it, but I, I so live in the like pay attention that nobody was supposed to go to that art retreat. So I had that weekend wide open and then yeah. I just thought my mom's not doing great. I should visit her. And that was the whole blessing of ever because I got to go home and be there for the five days of her passing. And if not, I would have been at some stinking art retreat. She would have gotten sick. You know, I would have heard about it, tried to fly home. It would have been terrible. I think that's, I think that's a really, really good philosophy. And yeah, I mean, I, I meant what I said in terms of the compliment because it's not everyone who can have the vision and have sort of the, the wherewithal to see it through all the way and have it be successful. So I, I think that's terrific. Well, I have a tip. I have a tip, a vision tip. I keep a small notebook, and here's some of my previous ones. Of course, I art them all up. Yeah. I keep a book by my side of my bed, and I reinvent my business, my life, my purpose every night. I write it, I write it, I write it. Like, I'm now visioning 2021, what the sponsors are going to look like for camp. How is it going to be different? How is virtual going to fit? What is there going to be benefits? And I write it and write it and write it. I just get it out of my head. Because I find that, like, it gets in there. And if I write it down, that I've got kind of this reference of what I was thinking. And then I can go back and go, yeah, good idea, good idea, bad idea. Awesome idea. Oh, I forgot about that. And it's amazing the stuff that has happened that started in this little book. Because before I go to bed at night, I read my little Bible verses, I breathe, I do a card deck with angels, and I just write whatever is on my heart and in my head. Wow. And it really is a time that it captures. Whether it happens or not, it captures stuff. But my card decks and some of my products, I design them right on these pages. I draw them, and then I go make them. Wow. And it's, it's, a great, it's a great tip for entrepreneurs, and I think it's a great tip just for anybody in life uh, to get stuff out of your head before you go to sleep at night. Cause then you can go to sleep and say like, Oh, I emptied my head of all that, put in some really good prayers and blessings, you know, and have a great night's sleep. God, that's, that's a great tip because sometimes I'll have ideas and I don't write them down and I either forget them. And then I'm filled with anxiety about forgetting them 
or I just think about them forever and I, I will chew on them and they will eat me alive until I finally do something about it till they nag me to death. So I think I may have to institute that. Do you ever get burned out on this? Like just being a serial entrepreneur, I mean, that's that's a rhythm of life that can be a little bit more intense and has less of, and I'm going to call it an illusion of security than say working for someone else. Do, do you ever get burned out on the rhythm of it? Well, I haven't worked for anybody since I worked for the governor of Indiana and um, as a governor's fellow in 1983 out of college. And then I had one job where I opened a festival marketplace. And so I started my business in 1986. I know you weren't born. And um, no, I was. So, okay, barely. Well, you're one. I was okay. I was five. All right. Okay, you're five. So I have never looked back, right? And so this is just who I am. There's no like church and state, you know, who I am and what I do. It's like who I am and what I do is all this thing. Now, what has happened in my 50s and in the last five years is I found art. So I always have been crafty and I always would do little things, but I went to an art class to kind of escape. I was really tired and burned out. And not only this, but raising a kid and teenage years and all this stuff. And I was just like, okay, Mama Betsy needs to just stop. Because when everybody goes to my retreats to, you know, fill up and get the love, I'm doing the work so that it looks so easy. Yeah, you're drawing so, your well down even further. Yeah, well, and just that's, I don't mind being of service, but everybody else uses that as their annual mm -hmm. pick me up. And it really is, is a lot of work for me. So I went to an art retreat and unbeknownst to me, I really had this knack and I'd never done a watercolor, never done an eye, never done a face. And I started making these kind of art angels. And next thing I know, I made 48 and made a card deck and made a card set. And now I've made this compilation book. Blah, blah, blah. So I turned into this artist. So now I have this thing to do that I love and is totally relaxing. And it, it has some things in the business, but it's not all business, right? And now I'm teaching that. So that's even fun because I'm helping other people do it. So uh, I've got this great balance thing going on that, like, when all else fails, I just go to my art room and make stuff. Nice. And just get into, you know, glue on my hands and paint everywhere. And it's a good balance. I frequently ask in this show about self-care, and I think that is a great tip. And it's important to have something that is just for you and just, that you do it for no other reason than that. I mean, it can have other practical applications, and it can find its way into other things. But if you have something that's just kind of for you, I, I think that's really important. Yes, and I would also add, um, I've had two hip replacements. So college, I had a terrible snowmobile accident. My friend was killed, and they thought I was dead. Long story short. Wow. I, I didn't go, but he did. And um, so then... Fast forward to 2008, I had a hip replacement on the right-hand side. Well, I had one of the recall hips, the metal on metal. Oh, no. Metal poisoning. And I literally blew up, my body blew up with metal poisoning, and I had to go in and get a revision of that bad hip, and they had to redo it in 2012. You know, I'm really aware of how fragile life is, what it means to learn how to walk again. And so every day. I stretch and do yoga, not negotiable. I don't care if I'm on a cruise ship in a hotel, almost on a plane. When I'm in a long flight, I'm in the back somehow trying to stretch. Yeah. Because if I don't, if I don't really take care of this body, especially after having that, you know, and really, really pay attention. So I do yoga and Pilates and meditation, not well meditation, by the way, but I'm working on it. I walk, you know, I try to do the basics. Um, it very, very important. Drink a lot of water, take a lot of good vitamins. You know, um, I'm on that and I'm glad because I really feel like this time in my fifties and sixties is going to give me a vibrant seventies and eighties and 
90s, God willing, to torture my now teenager when she's old. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's the hope. My uh, my wife's mom lives in a 55 and up community down in a, a suburb of Phoenix. And we love going down there. It seems like a lot of fun because these folks uh, are are really like just they, they, it's, it's a renaissance where she shows us her social calendar and, you know, it's filled with music and sports and hobbies. And, you know, she's going to uh, what is what is that called? Zymergy and, you know, things like that. And so no matter where you are taking care of yourself, I, I think you underestimate it when you're younger. I mean, I, I certainly did. Um, but I had a terrible herniated disc in my back where I couldn't make dorsiflexion with my foot. And so I had to wear this AFO brace for like months to make a heel strike. So I could like to, to re kind of get the neural pathways going again. It was after that I go, yeah, I got to take better care of myself. So, yeah, I'm glad you did because you know, you're nice and young and how old are your kiddos? Uh, so one of them turns four next week. And the other one turned six in October. Wow. See, you're right in the middle of all the fun there, Mr. John. It's no joke. Uh, never a dull day around here. Yeah, that's fun. But that's uh, awesome. I'll tell you what, Betsy, this is the time on the show when we do plugs. Where can people find you? Where can they find your products? Where can they get in touch with camp experience? Anything you want to plug at all, the floor is yours. This is the plug. Okay, well, first... Uh, anybody, women, Camp Experience Network, the website's campexperience.com. And that's where you're going to find my Boost Power podcast. You're going to find the Global Sisterhood Network with all the videos and podcasts. So all free content. And we don't funnel, right? You don't sign up for some big funnel and we send you shit. Like you get to opt into a newsletter if you want it every two weeks that just has events and free stuff um, or not. So that's campexperience.com. BetsyWearsma.com is kind of my art world, and it's actually under construction. We're going to launch a new site here in about a week, and um, that's Betsy, B-E-T-S-Y-W-I-E-R-S-M-A.com. And that is my retreat facility. I have in Keystone that I host art retreats, or you can come use our houses to retreat, and that is my ability to help you convene and gather your own group strategically for marketing and my podcast production. So, uh, yeah, and there's art for sale in there and all kinds of fun. Nice. All right. Well, here's what I'll do. I will plug all of that in the show notes as well as on the John of All Trades companion blog piece. That's J-O-N of all trades.us. If you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Find everything about Betsy right there. And you know what? I am thrilled that Debbie Brown hooked us up because... I love your story, and I think there's going to be more chapters between the two of us going forward, and I sincerely look forward to it. Betsy, thank you for being on the show, and I wish you continued success. Well, it's a pleasure, John, of all trades. I love your name. I love your energy, and I'm just happy to have another podcaster friend. <laughs> you bet. All right. Best to you, Betsy. And that wraps up episode 258 of the John of All Trades podcast with Betsy Weersma. What a fantastic personality. I adored the opportunity to get to chat with her. And I know she's on to great things. Cannot wait to see what she creates next. And I hope we get to create something together. Be sure to check out the companion blog piece on johnofalltrades.us. You'll also find all of my 258 plus episodes there. They're all in the archive. All you got to do is search. There's tons of good stuff there. Keep up with me on social media. That's J-O-A-T pod across platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Episode previews go up on Monday or sometimes Tuesday of the week. New episodes drop on Wednesday. So whatever podcatcher you're listening on, 
hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will be delivered right to you. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Training, content, engagement, and podcasting. Got an idea for a podcast? Need to tell your organization's story in a new way? Hit me up. I'll be happy to help you concept the show and then produce it. D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Building a website, online advertising, social media marketing, whatever it is, get your message in front of the people who need to see it most, do it for a cost, it's very attractive. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I'm out of here for this week. Got a brand new episode coming for you next week. It's going to be very timely, very of the moment. That's all I'll say about it. I'll see you back here next week. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.